This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's a show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Well, baseball season's over. Football season hasn't started yet. Um, we just finished the track championships. Wimbledon's over. But one season we can always participate in is tax season. <laughs> it's great, Liz. It is. And, you know, it's time. Good morning, by the way, and I hope your weekend was good with it. Uh, yeah, you know, athletes do have to get in shape, though, for their seasons. And I always felt sorry primarily for football players. Um, you know, they used to, I didn't play for long, but in eighth and ninth grade, you know, we'd run up and down the, the stadium stairs in, in 100 degree heat in Atlanta. Um, and it's gotten hotter, you know, in, in pads. And back in those days, coaches said, "Yeah, don't drink any water while you're while you're, you know, training because you'll get cramps." Which, of course, was like the worst possible advice. But you know, so right now, you know, the NFL players and football players are practicing, and we are practicing for tax season, um, even though we don't have to file our returns until next April. So I'm excited to talk talk about tax this year. Oh yeah, yeah, and. I- it's a thing where you don't want it to sneak up on you. If you learn about it, if you aren't scared of it, if you keep, you know, it's mostly keeping records. Uh, if you, you know, try to jot things down, keep your paperwork in the same place or uh, a folder, then you. You know, it just makes life so much more pleasant. It does. And I'm lucky because my wife is very organized. And right around tax time, she'll hand me the folder of stuff that she has put together that is so organized. Um, you know, the, and the truth is, the people I think who need to really be getting in tax shape right now are not so much people who are employed um, and have uh, an employer taking it, withholding taxes for them and, and reporting their taxes. There's people who are self-employed, people who have their own businesses, who have um, some things they need to be thinking about now and actually even earlier than now. Um, because, you know, for example, what if, uh, you know, what, do I, you know, when are taxes due? You know, we know that taxes, the return is due um, on April 15th, typically, of a year. So the 2022 tax return will be due on April 15th of 2022, uh, but, but uh, and, and you can file an extension. You know, that's a, there's an automatic extension if you file for one to October 15th uh, for 2023, I should say. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's fine, but the taxes are actually due before that. Well, I... We will we will we will say no names to protect the the innocent. I have a family member and they didn't have their taxes ready in April. So I assisted them in getting a uh, an extension 
but they still won't go get their tax information. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, putting it off is just, you know, it's good to put it off, but you got to get it done. You got to get it done. And it's really not that bad if you just sit down and do it. Uh, but but you, but even if you get the return in in time, if you haven't paid the taxes, then you're going to be subject to a penalty potentially and interest for an underpayment because the taxes are actually due um, really at the end of the year, um, and you're filing a return showing that you paid your taxes and how much you know how much you do owe. Um, and so I think people make that mistake, and especially uh, people who are self-employed. Um, if you are starting, or if, you've, if, if this is your first year starting a business, you don't need to worry about paying estimated taxes. But once you've been in business, uh, you know, you, then, you, then you have to pay estimated taxes um, quarterly because you're not having withholding done. And those quarters are April, June, September, and January each year. And if you you know, go on the IRS website, they, they tell you how to do estimated taxes, but, um, and we'll even calculate the estimated taxes for you. Um, software like, uh, you know, I don't want to turbo tax, tax cut, uh, HR block, all that, you know, soft tax software will also calculate your estimated taxes for you. Because if you don't make those estimated taxes, um, even though you may not owe tax at the end of the year, uh, if you don't make those estimated taxes, the IRS may treat that as not being timely paid because we're supposed to be paying quarterly. Uh, and if you're an employee, you're having your taxes withheld every paycheck. But if you're a self-employed person, you kind of have to have the discipline to do that yourself. We are talking about income taxes. Woohoo! <laughs> Professor Gerson, is it correct you know you mentioned that you want to make sure you get money in during the year but if you have paid at least the amount you owed last year during the year are you sort of safe you're, you're safe from an underpayment penalty yes but if you are self-employed you still may have a penalty for not paying estimated taxes so you got to be careful, but they're two different. They're two different penalties. So if I'm an, you know, if I if I, uh, you know, uh, made, uh, you know, pay, paid essentially the same amount of tax last year that I did this year, um, and I paid it, you know, uh, I won't have an underpayment penalty. But um, if I'm self-employed, I really need to make sure I'm paying those things quarterly because, you know, the IRS will charge you a penalty for underpayment of estimates or non-payment of estimates. So you can make those estimated payments directly on the IRS website. There's a way to pay on that website and just, you can go ahead and program them. Um, uh, my, my wife has a, is self-employed. She has her own editing business. And so she, we make her estimated payments uh, online and you can set up, like I set up the April uh, uh, June and September payments. They won't let you set up more than three at a time. So we're going to have to go back in and set up the January payment to make sure that we're covered. Um, and we'll probably get a refund. Uh, and, and people are saying, well, you know, why do you need to make estimates if you're going to end up getting a refund? And the answer is because we want to avoid that penalty for not paying the estimated tax. Excellent. So, so we hope folks will you know, get on the ball about their 2021, but this is 2022. Yeah, it is. And so we got to think about next year, right? 
right what are some what are some uh, uh, you know what should we we think about you know remind us uh, for 2023 I, I will and and I'm going to start off by saying we're assuming that Congress won't make any tax changes uh, at the end of the year and truthfully historically because we have midterm elections election years are really typically not a year uh, where we're going to see a lot of tax changes quite frankly um, I think you know earlier on people thought there might be a tax increase uh, from Congress I doubt that's going to happen so these things are not set in stone. Congress can change these things, and they have in the past. Uh, but right for right now, what we ought to be thinking about is um, our standard deduction. Um, and I know we have a phone call, but let me just quickly say what the standard deduction looks like it's going to be for 2022. Uh, the standard deduction will be 12950 for single filers. Um, and married filing separately, and $25,900 for joint filers, and heads of household will have a $19,400 uh, standard deduction. We'll talk more about how that works uh, after we get to our call. Great. Let's go to Jim in Jackson. Jim, we're glad you've called into in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? Good morning, Dean Gershon. Jim Rosenblatt here. Oh, Dean, it's good to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing fine. I have a question about refunds. I filed a paper return this year. was supposed to get a refund. I've heard nothing. I wrote a letter to the IRS asking about it and heard nothing back from that. Is there any way that I could use congressional pressure or something to see about the status of my refund? Well, I, I'm sorry you're dealing with that, Dean. I really am. And uh, if those of you that don't know, um, uh, Dean Rosenblatt uh, was the longtime dean at Mississippi College and did a wonderful job there. And uh, um, and so uh, it's always good to hear from him. But, um, you know, I, there's, you know, Jim, I think, first of all, I don't know if you've tried calling the IRS, but also the online. You can set up an online account. Um, and, you know, you do that uh, with some information that you'll have from your tax return and your your Social Security number, and you can set up that account, and it should give you the status of your refund online. And that's, I think, the best way to do it is through the IRS website and set up that that online account. Um, and Liz, Liz just Liz and I are chatting on Zoom, and she she just set one up. I've got one set up as well, and that that is, I think, the best approach. A lot of times, people will say they'll call and and they'll be on hold for a long time, or it's hard to get through. The IRS, it depends on the time of year, uh, but I think, you know, they, they should have that status. And if, if, if there's something going on that, uh, that uh, they don't have that status up there, then I would, I would make a phone call and find out what, what is going on. Is uh, setting up this account different from the service, or where is my refund, where you type in the amount of refund expected in your Social Security number? Yes, uh, and I'm going to tell everybody about uh, my experience when we come back from the break. Hang on, Jim, in case uh, you have questions after I explain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my story of my saga. So hang on. Our email address where you can send us your questions is legalterms at mpbonline.org. 
We're talking about federal income tax returns. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about the account you do need to sign up for with the IRS. That's next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. All right, so I'm going to share with our caller, Jim, who was asking about to find out how he can find out about his refund. Uh, yesterday, in preparation for the show, I went to the irs.gov website. Man, I mean, they've got a, a, a wealth of information. It is so much more user-friendly now than it used to be. But you can sign up for an account, and there are quite a few hoops to jump through. It is not for those who aren't really tech-savvy or if you fear tech. But you, you um, set up your email address— they have you take photos of the front and the back of your ID. That gets uploaded. And then you have to have a, a selfie photo, and you hold up the camera to your face, and it looks like, um, you know those paint-by-numbers, the before, that has all the lines and squiggles? That's kind of what it looks like, and you have to get it just right, moving it in and out so that it, it captures your face. You do have to put in your Social Security number. And then finally, 
when uh, da, 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 you've gotten you've gone through all those hoops and it it takes a good 15 20 minutes to get through all of that you do have access to your IRS records and your amounts due and we're mentioning that today because that is the topic of today's show we're talking about federal income taxes with our regular host professor richard gershon who is the author of several books and articles on taxation and legal education and is co-author contributing annual updates to attorney client privileges in the united states dean rosenblatt did that i don't want to say ease your fears but it is possible to go online to find out where your refund is uh but it's it's really not easy well, Dean, I hope that uh, you're able to uh, navigate the information highway to get on that irs.gov. It's a fantastic website, and you know, getting that account. Professor Gershon, you said you've gotten your account up there also. I have, and that was uh, so I could get uh, look at historical my, my uh, tax returns from previous years, um, and it did take some time. I mean, I think it's more secure because it uses your facial recognition to to make sure it's you um and that part i like but you know it didn't exactly all when i first i tried to upload my my photos of my driver's license it didn't take them right away i mean it, it really pretty persnickety honestly but once you get it all in then you've got then you can log in and you've got access to all that information so i i, I wish uh, dean rosenblatt luck with that um I'm not sure he may he may actually have the context with people in Congress to make it make him make it work. But but most of us wouldn't. Um, Jim knows everybody. Uh, so that may work for Jim, Jim Roosevelt. But I think probably for most people, it really is better just to try to do it through the website. And um, if, if you can't find it there, then I would call and get help from the IRS. Um, and now it's probably not a bad time because I think they're probably not as busy now as they will be uh, beginning of the year. So what can we do, um, some specific things that we can do to reduce our taxes? Well, some things to think about right now. You know, the, uh, I mentioned that the, uh, the standard deduction is pretty high. I mean, so for a married couple, it's $25,900, and people who are going to itemize then have to have spent in deductible expenses more than that 25,900 if they're married before they can even uh, start to itemize. So if I, if I spent $25,901, I would itemize and basically have, a, you know, an additional $1 deduction. Um, and so that's, that's a lot for people and most people don't itemize anymore. So, uh, but you want to keep records. You want to make sure that you can to look at, make sure you keep track of your charitable contributions. You want to make sure you keep track of, your expenses for your mortgage, your interest uh, expense, because that is deductible, your interest on your home. Um, things like your uh, property taxes, your state property taxes. And state and local taxes, though, the deduction for those is limited to $10,000. So uh, you want to make sure you keep track of those because those will help you itemize as one, well. One thing um, we've talked about on Money Talks just a little bit is trying to group your expenses if it's possible for you to instead of 
you know, in January of every year making a contribution or a payment or whatever that is going to is a possibly deductible expense if you you know did this year you did it in January I know then for the next year do it in the January of the third year and do two at the same time right and that way you're doubling up on you're making the same contribution you're just spreading it you know or and certainly if you're going to plan on doing it in December of this year and January of next year then go ahead and just do them both in December and that will uh, increase the amount that goes towards the potential itemized deduction. Um, so I know I know we have a call. So uh, yeah, let's go to T, who's calling us from Tennessee. T, we're glad that you've called in to in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? My comment is that I don't think the public should have to give, and I and I think this has been discussed in Congress. Uh, a picture ID just to get information on your taxes. To me, you're putting the government in a position where if they know and see all of our pictures, it could be used for or against us, depending upon who's in power at the time. And I think, you know, you can't just trust the government to be always on your side, even though they appear to be. I like your, your comments on what you think about that. T, since I just, I'm going to take a shot since I just uploaded this information. Uh, I can't speak to the government having your picture, but it was to be, to set up an account, they want to make sure that the person who's setting it up is that person. You know, Jay White is our engineer here, and I couldn't go, hmm, I wonder what Jay White's tax information is. I can't just set up an account and pretend to be Jay White. I've got to have Jay White's ID to take a picture both front and back, and then I have to have a cell phone to do an actual photo so that it, and it's got to kind of match Jay White's ID photo. Um, all of the contributing the ID and the facial recognition is just to set up an IRS account. Now, who gets access to your IRS account or who you give the password to, that's a whole different story. But, uh, Jay, you're also our everyday tech host. Uh, what is your uh, comment? That's It's pretty standard fare for stuff like this these days, and I can understand uh, why somebody might balk at that a little bit because you're putting some of your information over the Internet. But for the IRS specifically, it should be encrypted in every way possible. But, it, uh, you know, just to – and I don't know if this will help or hurt or whatever, but uh, if you sign up for something like Coinbase, which is a, a very, very user-popular – um, crypto trading app. Uh, it's basically the biggest platform that's brought crypto to the masses. To sign up for that and to be able to trade crypto legally and to uh, have an account that you can cash out crypto legally, you have to do the same thing. Take a picture of your uh, driver's license or some sort of form of identification, then a picture of yourself that makes 
them so know you for better sure look you like your driver's right. license picture right. <laughs> yeah they Absolutely. say yeah for the first time i had my driver's license picture taken without my glasses and then when i did this irs thing i had to not have glasses right. on also it's right to be suspicious about something like that because it is it is it is counterintuitive to put all of that very personal information up on the internet but it's all about where you're doing it and for the irs now, the trust in the government, that's a whole different show for a whole different day. Maybe a whole different station. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, can't speak, on, can't speak on all that. Professor Gershon. Ron T., I, I think T's comments an important one. You know, I, in a way, I think what the IRS is trying to do is protect our privacy and make sure that, as, as Liz said, there, nobody else is creating an account uh, in our name. And that's, that's also a concern because they're, you know, they're clearly identity theft is an important issue. And when we're talking about someone's tax information, that's everything. I mean, you got their uh, their income information. You've got their social security number. So they're trying to protect that. The other thing, T, I will say is to have a driver's license at all. Well, the government's already got your image at that point. You know that that that's shared in data, databases around around the country. So um, you know we're 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 out there, um, and um, and I think it's you know I think we want to hold our account our, our government accountable. And I agree with Jay. That might be a great show uh, for another time. We would love to get your emails questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing your federal income taxes. So if you've let mom or dad or a spouse file your taxes for you, it is not that scary to do them yourself. We'll give you a little bit of information to reassure you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast or you could find it on the MPB Think Radio's recordings page, which is mpbonline.org slash radio. Now, if you've let other people prepare your taxes for you, the IRS website has gotten much, much, much more user-friendly irs.gov and it does have a spot on there and that is a file your taxes for free place you don't have to sign up for anything just to get to that web page irs.gov and then there's a file your taxes for free spot that has links to software that you can use for doing your taxes and a lot of the software has gotten pretty user-friendly also to guide you through and help you walk through 
filling out your taxes. So this morning, we're talking about federal income taxes with our founding host. Professor Gershon is the author of several books and articles on taxation and legal, illegal education. In 2019, he published the seventh edition of A Student's Guide to the Internal Revenue Code. That was with Professor Jeffrey Maine. So he's trying to hook those kiddos while they're young, and they'll love that IRS tax code forever. I'm guessing this uh, student's guide is not a bedtime storybook. No, it is a coffee table book. It's the one that you know you you, you put out and people kind of browse through it. Uh, uh, you know, something beach read, more of a beach read. <laughs> you know, we've we've been talking a little bit about um, finding out where, where your refund is. We've talked a little bit about the standard deduction. If you don't take the standard deduction, uh, you itemize. So first off, what is the standard deduction, why does it matter? Well, it matters in a way. It, the whole idea behind the standard deduction is to say, hey, we, you, if, if we're going to simplify this for you. you know, it's, it's, it originally, you know, the, the increase in the standard deduction a few years ago was part of the uh, Tax Simplification and Paperwork Reduction Act um, to say, hey, you know, instead of having to keep track of all these charitable contributions and all these other uh, expenses that you would use to itemize, we're just going to give everybody to start with kind of a, a basic deduction that you don't have to, you don't have to have any accounting for that. You just get it. So a married couple automatically starts with a $25,900 standard deduction for 2022. Now, the downside of that is that, um, you know, if if somebody spends exactly $25,900 in expenses that would be deductible, they get that deduction. And somebody who has no expenses uh, that would be deductible also gets that deduction. So that's kind of the, the downside, but it really is so that, hey, this will just simplify most people then won't be itemizing it. And the truth is probably from the IRS and the government's perspective, where individual taxpayers may hedge the most and, and maybe cheat a little bit is on, you know, their itemized deductions, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Now, can I go, can I say one more thing to T, yeah. by the way? I have to say, you know, um, we actually expose our own privacy way too often. And and there are people who have reported very low incomes on uh, their tax returns. And then on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram, they're showing fabulous pictures of themselves uh, on vacation and exotic places. And the IRS actually does look at those social media sites, especially if they're suspicious that someone is underreporting their income. So, you know, uh, I agree with you that we should be suspicious of the government, but we also tend to share way too much. If you're going to cheat the government, <laughs> you need to be better, a better cheater. <laughs> Don't tell everybody on Facebook about it. Well, I tell my students, you know, when you're applying, you're going to be applying for the bar. Don't show drunken pictures of yourself at parties and stuff like that, because the bar, all, bar, you know, the bar organizations now do also uh, look at those things from time to time. So we, we owe it to ourselves to protect our own privacy. Let's go to Brian in Miami. Brian, we're so glad you've called into in legal terms today. Uh, what's your comment or question? Well, I just want to comment about uh, records online. We're having a little uh, bit trouble uh, hearing you, uh, Brian. There, uh, you were. I believe you're trying to talk about talk 
IRS tax documents online. That is one thing. If you go to irs.org, you no, wait, that's not right. IRS.gov. Let me make sure I'm saying that right. If you do go to their website, they do have lots of uh, the tax forms that you can get. Uh, Let's try it one more time. Brian, is that what you were asking about? I can't hear you very well. But, yeah, if you go to irs.gov, you know, the first thing it says is, how can we help you? You know, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. And there's lots of options. They have get your refund status, file your taxes for free, get answers to your tax questions, sign into your account, Get your tax record, apply for an employer ID number, check your amended return status, make a payment, and find forms and instructions. You know, they're, they're trying to help us help them pay for the government, pay for the services that we need for our country. So irs.gov does have lots of uh, information on there. And Liz, the publications they have on there are fantastic. So for people who are starting a business or if you have a small business, um, there's specific pamphlets that are online that you can get that will t- instruct you step-by-step, line-by-line, and, you know, what, what you do. And it, they really are very helpful uh, instructions. So I, I totally recommend, as you did, the, the IRS.gov website. We've been talking about the standard deduction versus the itemized deductions. And in the past, old timers, you know, we're, I don't know how long we'll be old timers. It used to be a lot of people would itemize, but now that that threshold has gotten so much bigger, so many more people take standard deductions. But if you are still able to itemize, what are some things that that might include? Well, uh, charitable contributions, um, mortgage interest uh, on a home is a primary one. Uh, Taxes, state uh, taxes, um, including property taxes. Again, those are capped uh, at $10,000, though, total. Um, And then um, now those are those are kind of the personal expenses, the non-business expenses. If you have if you have, you know, kind of a catastrophic health situation, uh, you can itemize a portion of your medical expenses. And that's a little more complex um, and requires, uh, you know, a calculation of typically you're going to have to have a, a really big medical expenses that are uninsured to do that. But, but I think it's important to differentiate those personal expenses from business expenses. So as I mentioned, my wife has her own editing business. So those expenses that she has that are related to her business can be deducted directly from her business income. She doesn't have to itemize those. And, and you'll hear people call those the above-the-line deductions or uh, deductions that come straight out of the income. So, for example, you know, she um, has to uh, have a computer for her business we can uh, expense that computer uh, or depreciate that computer uh, you know, to offset some of her income from that business. She can make a contribution to her retirement plan. She has a simple um, SCP, a, you know, a, a self-employment plan, a you know, simple employment uh, uh, pension plan that she set up, so, uh, much like an IRA. So you know, those kind of things, you have your own business, the expenses related to your business are you don't have to itemize, and that's important 
Um, it's the personal expenses uh, that we have to itemize. And there's, is there any changes uh, for 22 that we need to be on the re- reminder about? Not any, not any major ones like that. The one that we're not sure about is there was, um, in 2021, you could, even if you didn't itemize, you could take a $300 charitable contribution deduction or, or $600 if you were a joint return. Um, and we're not, and Congress to this date, I, I'm not aware that they've extended that for next year. So that was kind of a one-time thing uh, to allow people to take the charitable contribution deduction, even if they didn't itemize. And a lot of charities said, hey, you know, you raised the standard deduction. Now people don't have the incentive to make contributions to charity because they won't be able to get the tax benefit for making those contributions. So that was Congress's response. Uh, my response to that is, we, you know, Mississippi, I would say, you know, has a fairly small percentage uh, of, of our taxpayers in this state actually itemize, and yet we're one of the most generous states. So people don't always give to charities just to get the tax deduction. But um, Congress recognized that for some, the incentive, the tax deduction incentive is important. With that in mind, Liz, let me, can I talk about something for people that are 70 and a half? Oh, we, uh, we love our 70 and a half uh, listeners. I, you know, I talk about money talks from time to time because I'm also the producer for that show, which is heard on MPB Think Radio at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays Central Time. Yeah, we love hearing about uh, required minimum distributions. Well, and that's, you know, if you are uh, someone who's retirement uh, and you are taking uh, money out of your uh, retirement account, you get to 70 and a half, you're going to ha- you have to take a required minimum distribution, as Liz said. And part of that is uh, the whole idea of allowing us to put money aside uh, tax deferred into retirement plans was that eventually we would take that money out and pay taxes on that money uh, and when we're retired. Um, and so, you know, you can't just keep it in there forever. You got to start taking it out. But what you can do is have, uh, let's say you don't need that money. You know, congratulations if that's your case. Um, and you want to give that, you want to give money to charity. Uh, you can have money paid directly from your qualified uh, plan, your IRA, et cetera, to a charity, a qualified charity. Um, and there's like the irs.gov has a list of the charities that, that do qualify. Um, so, you know, University of Mississippi is one, just for example. Uh, I'll, MPB I'll bet MPB one. Foundation is one. Is one? It is. I mean, it is. And so, um, so, you know, you can have it to pay directly. Now, that, you don't get a deduction for that, but that payment can satisfy your required minimum distribution and you won't have to pay income on it. So if you're going to give to charity anyway, that, that's, that's really not a bad thing to do once you are uh, 70 and a half and have to start taking those distributions out. So uh, I'll look forward to, to that day. I probably, won't, I, I probably will need the money to live on at that point. But, you know, uh, for those that don't, it's a really nice uh, tax benefit. That's another thing with uh, on Money Talks, they talk about make sure you have multiple streams of income when you're uh, retired. Don't just uh, bank on one of them because you, you may need extra. We can take your questions on our email address just for a little bit longer. Then we can also get back to you. Legal terms at mpbonline.org. Hey, are you an accountant in need of a job? I know someone who's hiring over 400 accountants. I'll tell you about that next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
drive a vehicle, then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. you for being part of in legal terms so if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show on the mpb think radio youtube channel you you like subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when new videos are posted but they're not videos they're audios but anyway it's also available on the mpb public media app as are our other local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Okay, this is the reason Dean Rosenblatt from earlier can't get through to the IRS. The IRS is hiring 470 revenue agents who will specialize in auditing and examining both individual and business taxpayers nationwide. These positions are at grades 5 through 12 in the federal civil service system with a base pay ranging from over 31000 to just over 68000 Throughout July, the IRS is holding a series of virtual information sessions for interested applicants. I'll have a link in the show information for today's show so that you can check out uh, that if you're interested. You can also go to irs.gov. And to me, I just think it's a no-brainer. They need to hire IRS people to collect all this money to get the government to run. Uh, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They've been understaffed for quite some time now, in fact. And a lot of, a lot of um, uh, lawyers and legal scholars have written about the fact that, that it leads to uh, under-auditing, too. So that's why you know, a, lot of, a lot of things that would normally have been caught aren't. So, um, yeah, I'm glad they're hiring. They yeah. need to. We're talking with our own Professor Gershon, who has taught tax policy and estate planning, estate and gift taxation, and federal income taxation classes in the three law schools that he's been on the faculty. So let's get to the good part. Let's get to the good part. What is not taxed? <laughs> what, what do we get to not worry about because we don't have to pay taxes on? Well, I always ask my, my students when, you know, like, if I'm teaching basic federal income tax, I'll say, all right, so, uh, you know, anything that increases your wealth is income, theoretically. So I say, how, do, how many of you reported your last birthday present you got? And they all look at me like, oh, gosh. And I said, I mean, weren't you, weren't you better off because you got that birthday present? And, and they kind of look a little bit sheepish, like, oh, my gosh, maybe I should have reported it. But gifts are not considered income. Um, and I know people, you mentioned estate and gift tax is one of the courses I teach. That's a different thing, right? So that's, that, those are not, we're not talking about on the income tax side. Um, and small gifts, anything under $15,000 per year per person, uh, is not even taxed under the gift tax system, so we don't have to worry about that either. But you know, birthday presents are not taxable. That's good. And think about all those you know, those poor IRS agents trying to figure out you know what the value of my 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 birthday present was uh, each year. Um, and so 
the other thing, inheritances are not taxable. That surprises people because, again, we do have this separate estate and gift tax system. But that's only going to affect people with um, uh, estates, uh, you know, for a married couple, uh, close to $24 million in taxable estates. So we're not really talking about affecting many people. So not me. When people, <laughs> yeah, me either. I'll never, never, never get the close. So, million, so you know, if you, get, if, if you inherit uh, money or property, that's not taxable either. Um, and so uh, life insurance payable by someone's death, you know, I guess death and taxes are inevitable, but they don't want to both to be at the same time. And so uh, when you inherit property from someone or you get life insurance because they died, uh, those things are excluded from income as well. You don't have to report them. Uh, damages for personal injuries for physical injury and illness are not uh, taxable. So if I if uh, you know if I get in an auto accident and somebody has to pay for my my uh, my uh, medical expenses and also my my physical injuries, uh, those things would not be uh, taxable. So you know there are there are a whole list of things in the Internal Revenue Code that are taxable. You know what another one is is you got that uh, that beautiful studio you get to work in now, and that is considered a working condition fringe benefit. Uh, just like uh, you know, some some of my colleagues have bigger offices than other other people in, in the law school. That's a working condition fringe benefit. That is not considered taxable. Uh, people who work for the airlines who can fly for free when there's an empty seat. Good luck these days. Um, that's not taxable. Or if you work for a hotel chain and you can you know have a night when there's an empty room, those things are not taxable either. Those are. Uh, um, considered no additional cost services because the plane's got to fly from here to LA anyway. And if there's an empty seat and there's a uh, flight attendant or pilot that, you know, can, can use that seat for free, uh, then the airline will let them do that. So if there are a lot of different things like that, that, that are not taxable, even though clearly people are better off having received them. We did talk earlier about one way to not be taxed on your required minimum distributions from your qualified plan was to donate it uh, directly, not not you not touching it, going from your investment account to the qualified charity. Uh, so we mentioned having multiple ways of receiving uh, income when you're retired. What about Social Security benefits? Well, you know, I, this surprises people. I think people get to say, well, of course, Social Security shouldn't be uh, uh, taxable because, you know, I paid Social Security taxes, right? But if you're an employee, if you're employed, your employer is paying half of those, right? So you haven't paid tax on your employer's share of the Social Security tax. So, yeah, you do. You know, uh, if you if, uh, um, if we're going to look at combined income plus Social Security benefits, at most, you're going to pay tax on 85% of the benefit. That doesn't mean you're paying an 85% tax on the on the benefit. It means if I had a thousand dollars of Social Security benefit this year, I'd only have to pay tax on 850 dollars of that at my rate. So that's going to be a much lower amount. But if um, if I between 25,000 and 34,000 as a an individual, and my combined income is in that area. I may have to pay tax on uh, up to 50% of my benefits. So uh, only half of my benefits are going to be taxable in that range. Anybody that makes more than $35,000 as a single taxpayer, then up to 85% of their benefits may be taxable. Again, that's not the rate you're paying tax at. But you know, you're, you're, you're not going to pay tax on 15% because that's the, the amount you contributed 
uh, but not the other part. Now, um, as far as filing a joint return, those amounts go uh, between 32,000 and 44,000. Uh, you pay tax on 50% of the benefits. More than 44,000 for a married couple, up to 85% of the benefits. That, that's going to change every year depending on you know the, the tax rates, et cetera. But so I know people get concerned about that. But if, if you if you have income, uh, say retirement plan income, in addition to Social Security, um, then that Social Security is an enhancement, and and the part that you haven't paid tax on yet, they're going to want to subject to tax. Well, this has been so much fun. <laughs> and well, we, we can't even, be done. <laughs> well, we've run out of time. We haven't run out of topics. We were going to talk more about other retirement plans and, uh, you know, 529s and keeping records. and But th- we'll just have to spread the fun over uh, another show. I'm so glad that we were able to, to discuss this now. And, you know, keep your records going good keep your keep your tax records going right now we are so glad that you joined us for in legal terms today thank you jay white thank you jermaine flood for being part of our show we for professor richard gershon who hosts from the university of mississippi school of law i'm liz gill we do hope that you'll join us next tuesday at 10 a.m central for in legal terms on mpb think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.